Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this time that we can come and set aside and just look at your word and be with you and be with each other. We do pray for Liz this morning that you would just fill her with your spirit, that you would give her a sharp mind and that you would give her eyes endurance um, and that she would do well. I pray that you would help her remember everything she wants to say and that you would just give her peace. Um, speak through her. Lord, prepare our hearts. Help us to just focus and rest in you as we trust you with what you want to teach us. We pray that you would bless our groups and our discussions and the kids downstairs. We just lift all this up to you and we trust you with it. We thank you that you are here, that you are among us, that you love your word, that you love us, that you love the study. And uh, we pray that you would just bless it to your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, everybody. Hi. Um, I'm going to start the passage right away because there's a lot to talk about. Um, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were so weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truths of Romans 5, 1 to 11. Open our hearts to hear you speak to us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. So the word that comes to my mind in this passage is joy. And I've got, gathered a lot of my thoughts today from John Stott, Tim Keller, Michael Kruger and Dane Ortland. I'm grateful for their insights to help us understand this passage. I'm also reminded of what I've learned in what was previously called Living for the King, but now is called Gospel Living. This course is a foundational discipleship course here at New Life Dresher that delves into justification by faith and adoption into God's kingdom through Jesus Christ. If you are ever considering it, you will not be disappointed. By studying this passage, my understanding of what I previously learned has been expanded. So far, we've studied about our need for justification and the way it happens. And now Paul is focusing us on the results and benefits of justification by faith alone. And he's piling on the benefits one after another. From this passage, John Stott points out six bold assertions Paul makes for all whom God has justified. One, we have peace with God. 
Two, we're standing in grace. Three, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Four, we rejoice in our sufferings. Five, we shall be saved through Christ. And six, we boast in God. Let's explore these truths together. First, we now have peace with God because we have been justified by faith through our Lord Jesus Christ. The definition of justification is a right standing with God. How do we get there? Dane Ortland, in his book, Deeper, reminds us that we are not just people who need help from Jesus. We're not going along pretty well on our own, and then Jesus comes and lifts us up the rest of the way. We were completely dead. We needed Jesus to bring us back to life. We were at war with God. We not only broke his law, also known as sin, but we stand on the premise that we have the right to do so. We want to be in charge, but God also claims that we are his and he is the one who provides what we need and we need to be dependent on him. So you see the problem. There's a war between us and our king. Thanks be to God, we have a new life with new hearts wanting to be submissive to God because Jesus died and rose from the dead. Michael Kruger tells us that Christ absorbed all of God's wrath on the cross, and now there's no wrath for us. His work gives us peace with God. Tim Keller points out the differences between peace of God and peace with God. When we have the peace of God, this is experienced by a calm and satisfied heart in the midst of troubles and pressures. But peace with God indicates there was a problem between God and us because of our sin. By the Lord Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, we no longer experience a divide between us and God. And this is true even if we don't feel it. Paul is clear that justification by faith is Jesus' work, not ours. It's totally dependent on Christ's work for us. In ancient days, the people would go to the temple, and what they saw when they entered the temple was a giant barrier to access to God. If you read about the temple, there were many divides between God's holy place and the people. When Christ died, the enormous curtain that stopped people from being near the holy place of God was torn down. Christ opens the way to the throne room of God. In Romans 1, we heard that we were under the wrath of God. Remember, it's just not a matter of us being hostile towards God, but God has a problem with us. Dr. Kruger says when people say they've made their peace with God, they think they have forgiven God for things they think are unfair or make them angry. But Paul flips that here and shows that it's God who forgives us for our unbelief, our self-sufficiency, and sin. Unlike us, God's wrath isn't vengeful or vindictive. It's a legal issue that needs to be addressed. God told Adam all the way back in Genesis 2 that eating fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil would bring death. We need to be reconciled to God, and through Christ's work, we have now received reconciliation. Reconciliation is the restoration of favor between God and man. And God not only establishes peace between himself and us, but has also gone further and given himself in friendship. 
Second, we're standing in grace, and grace is the undeserved favor and benefit we receive from God through Christ. Christ has introduced us to the Father, so we can now develop a personal relationship with him ourselves. We have access to the throne of God, but it's not an access that comes and goes. This access remains with us through Jesus wherever we are. Romans 8.38 tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. This is a glorious gift that occurs through faith in Jesus Christ. We have nothing to offer. We come completely empty-handed, but we enjoy all the benefits of God's kingdom, and these benefits are secure in Christ. We are now children of the Father with full access to him in a personal relationship. Third, this brings us to the hope of the glory of God. Stott tells us it's a joyful and confident expectation which rests on the promises of God. The object of our hope is the glory of God, namely his radiant splendor, which will in the end be fully displayed. The more we experience peace with God and the access we have to him, the more we long to see him face to face and the more excited we become about God's glory in heaven. Once we taste and see that the Lord is good, we want more. This passage is talking about the past, the present, and the future. In Christ, we're freed from our past. We presently have a personal relationship with God. And one day in the future, we will experience the fullness of God's glory in heaven. This brings us so much joy. And then the curveball. And Paul's fourth point. We're to have joy in sufferings. What is Paul talking about? When we're justified by Christ, we know that suffering brings good fruit. Suffering first leads to perseverance. The definition for perseverance from the Oxford Dictionary is persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. It builds us up for spiritual fitness. If we don't suffer, we don't have to persevere. But when we do suffer and persevere, that leads to character. This is someone who has been tried and passed the test. Someone who has been put through the furnace and has survived. Dr. Kruger points out Paul is talking about us becoming more like Christ when we suffer and persevere, and that builds character, and character produces hope. Hope is defined as a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen, but it's also defined as a feeling of trust. We stand in full confidence that God's promises are true. God is with us now and can be relied on for our future. I've experienced seasons of suffering and loss in my life, and one clear time of suffering was when my dad died in 2009. This was the first death of a close family member that I had experienced. My parents were married 50 years at that time, and my mom was lost without my dad. She had also had failing health, and for the next four years, she was in and out of the hospital. She was given some bad advice from a friend to not talk to anyone about her grief. She was a shell of herself. 
trying to tread water endlessly without help. She was suffering. And I couldn't help her on my own. I cried out to God on my knees every day and often. There was no other hope but God himself. This was preparing me for what was to come. In October of 2012, during Hurricane Sandy, my in-laws were visiting with us, and my father-in-law became ill and was diagnosed with an illness that would end his life quickly. In January of 2013, he died. And my mom died in April of the same year. When my mom died, I was not only overwhelmed by grief about her dying, but also about my dad's death. I hadn't spent any time grieving for him because my mom was overcome with grief and illness. I kept pushing on without stopping to dwell on the sadness of my dad not being here. And I was being flooded by that truth when my mom died. I clearly remember the pain of these losses. I didn't want anyone to leave the house for fear they wouldn't come back. I struggled with anxiety and waited for the next loss. I was a mess. But God didn't leave me there. I was encouraged by God's word. Verses that held me together were, God is close to the brokenhearted and saves those crushed in spirit from Psalm 34, 18. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God from Hebrews 12, 2. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forward and forevermore. Psalm 121. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. There are many other Bible verses like Psalm 23, Zephaniah three seventeen. Psalm 46, Isaiah 53, and Psalm 139. These were some of the scripture passages that held me together, and I was clinging to these words. Christ had united me to himself, and he was not going to let me go. Now, this was a process, not a quick fix. Little by little, God's love worked on my heart. The Holy Spirit reminded me to read God's word, Seek God's presence, pray, and ask others for prayer. He also reminded me of Christ's death and resurrection. Death was not the final word because Christ overcame death. At the time, I didn't know my suffering was changing me to become someone who could enter into other people's suffering and not avoid them or minimize their pain. I did not enjoy this process, but my heart was enlarged through it. Since that time, there have been so many deaths of people I love and I am changed each time and filled with the hope of Christ as I persevere and am built up in character. This is God's work in me through suffering. This past summer, 
I started writing this talk and my granddaughter had to have oral surgery under general anesthesia. She shared with her parents that she was worried she was going to die. I was overcome by sadness thinking about that happening. My initial reaction was feelings of anxiety and sadness that I had experienced before. But now I'm not that same person. I take two steps forward, one step back, and Jesus does not leave me there. He is continually working to remind me deep in my soul who he is and what type of future I have in him. He unites himself to me in life's hardships. As I cried out to God, I was reminded that he is the one who holds my granddaughter's life in his hands. I was also able to ask for prayer from fellow Christians. And after wrestling with all my thoughts and praying and crying out to God, the peace of God rested on me. I was also able to minister and disciple my granddaughter in the hope she has in Christ. The Bible is clear and never diminishes the suffering we experience here on earth. God does not expect stoic endurance when life is hard. We do not need to pretend it's not happening and things are okay. We can be sad in our suffering. In the book of Job, we read in the first chapter that Job lost everything. His response was to tear his clothes, shave his head, and fall to the ground in worship. His suffering was real. He did not diminish it, but he worshiped God in the midst of it. Jesus himself is described in Isaiah 53 as a man of sorrows. In Gethsemane, Jesus cries out in agony to God. Suffering is a given in a world where sin is present, and Jesus understands and cares for us during these times. Jesus says in John 16:33, "In me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world." When we become Christians, we're not protected from heartbreak, but instead, our hearts are no longer hard towards suffering. We have hearts full of compassion for others and their anguish. So Paul is not talking about enjoying suffering. Paul says that suffering enhances our relationship with God. Paul's talking about the joys we have, peace with God, standing in grace, and God's glory, remaining joys we have while in our suffering. We may not understand the hardships we're enduring, but God has a purpose and a plan for us, even in the midst of them. The Bible assures us that God will not change and he will never give up on us. People vacillate, but Jesus does not. Dane Ortland says Jesus binds himself to people. We can flourish into deeper health as the truth settles over us that once Jesus has brought us to himself, he will never be looking for an off-ramp. He will stick by us to the end. We can't sin our way out of the grip of Jesus. In John 10, 27 to 30, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Tim Keller says, suffering removes from us rival sources of confidence and hope. 
other places we might look to for our sense that deep down we're okay and that our future will be okay. Suffering drives us to the one place where we find real hope, real confidence, and certainty. God. Paul's fifth assertion says suffering also assures us of God's love. Verse 5 says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We are assured of God's love through the Holy Spirit. We also know God's love by looking at the cross. Jesus taking our sin and making it his own, taking the punishment we deserve and dying on the cross and rising in the resurrection assures us of God's love. We're described in this passage as sinners, rebellious, enemies of God, and powerless. In the midst of our sin, rebellion, hatred towards God, and the inability to do anything about it, Jesus died for us. Stott says, the unique majesty of God lies in the combination of uh, God's love, lies in the combination of three factors, namely that when Christ died for us, God, A, was giving himself, B, even to the horrors of a sin-bearing death on the cross, and C, doing so for his undeserving enemies. God's love is not like human love. God's love shocking. It's immense. It's faithful, and it's enduring. When we initially become Christians, Christ saves us from our past sin and brings us into God's kingdom. We enjoy fellowship with him now and are spared from God's wrath. However, we still sin. In the future, Christ will come again. We still need Christ's second coming to make us complete. So we can take comfort in the fact that Jesus will return. Tim Keller says the God who opened heaven to us will ensure that we arrive there. Christ has called us his friends. So we can be sure right now today that Christ is interceding for us. Jesus is alive and we are permanently saved by him. Hebrews 7, 24, 25 says, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. God is forever reminded through Christ's intercession that he took our punishment. And because of this, We receive as a gift reconciliation with God. Lastly, we also boast in God. We aren't talking about boasting in the sense that we're bragging and we're not laying claim to God as ours alone. Instead, this declares that we have no claim to God at all and acknowledges that Christ is the one who brought our sinful selves to the Father. We understand the mercy that is given to us through Christ to be able to enter into the throne room of God. Stott says, so to exalt in God is to rejoice not in our privileges, but in his mercies, not in our possession of him, but in his of us. Our God claims us as his beloved children. When we understand how much we've been forgiven, we rejoice in the gift of reconciliation. Let's pray. Father, this incredible passage has given us so much hope. 
Thank you for opening up your throne room to us through Jesus. We also thank you for giving us the tools to withstand our sufferings. Let us be women who cling to you, remembering the peace we have with you, the grace we stand in, your glory, the joys we have in suffering, the past, present, and future salvation given to us through Christ, and that we are your possession. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.